Man, it's good to be back here with you guys. As we um, make our way to our seats, I want to pray again. I just ask for God's guidance as I uh, preach the word here. So let's, let's bow in prayer. Oh, Father God, I am so, so thankful, God, uh, to be here with my brothers and my sisters. God, I'm excited, Lord, uh, just to see what you're doing in our lives, God. God, I'm thankful, Lord, for the ways that you are going to continue to work. We know it. We believe it in faith. And we want to walk by faith, God, not knowing what the next step necessarily might be, but knowing that you are already there. And, Lord, for all of us today, God, I know we always come every Sunday with all kinds of things in our minds. Sometimes we gather together and we're just on cloud nine. We're having a great week, great month, great year. And other times, God, we're just waiting for the the calendar to turn its page and start new Get a new, fresh start, Lord, in life because uh, our burdens are too heavy, Lord. And so I know uh, with us here, there's there's a a variety of burdens in our hearts and joys in our lives. And we lay it all at your feet, God. We know you care about it. And so, God, we thank you that you invite us to come to you, to cast our cares before you because you care for us. And so, Lord, we do that this morning. God, as I open your word, I pray that you would speak to our hearts. God, for each of us, give us ears to hear. Give us the eyes to see what you want to speak to us and show us, Lord, from the Bible. I'm just your messenger, Lord, and I pray that even my heart would be moved and stirred and that we as a church family uh, might love you more dearly and love one another the same. We bless your name in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as Jeremy mentioned, I know that as we gather each week, there are always different times where we have uh, new faces in the crowd, and we're just grateful you're here today with us. And we want you to know this is a safe place for you to grow in your understanding of what it means to follow Jesus. We are committed to that, and we, as a church family, want to remember often um, that we, we have a great responsibility to tell others that, uh, about what God has done in our lives and what he's doing at the brook because here we want to talk about God. We want to brag about him. We want to lift his name up. We want people to see how amazing he is and how he can genuinely transform lives because he's done that for so many of us who are here today. So if you're exploring the Christian faith today, man, I'm glad you're here. Really am. And our hope and prayer that you come to know this Jesus that we love talking about because he's amazing and he's changed and transformed us. I've been gone now for uh, three out of the last four Sundays. And some of you are like, man, I didn't even notice. Shame on you if you didn't notice I was gone. No, uh, no, it's, it's been great. Jeremy Barona, thank you, man. I know Jeremy's been sweating it out for the last month and a half, holding the fort down. Grateful for you, brother. Um, as I'm gone, people will often ask me, like, hey, are you worried about things back home at the church and whatnot? And, and I don't worry about it because, again, we have wonderful leaders here. And ultimately, this is Jesus' church. It's not ours. It belongs to him. And he's raised up people to, to keep us established. And uh, Jeremy, you're one of them, man. Thank you, brother. Appreciate you. Uh, it's, been a, it's been a good time being away. Um, we had a, this, a, a two-part series here that Jeremy started last week about prayer. And today I'm going to talk about praying with fasting. And our passage is going to be from the book of Ezra, chapter 8, verses 21 through 23. And I want us to turn there. I'm going to read it. Then I'm going to talk about what we're going to go forward and looking at here in this passage. Again, if you don't have a Bible, uh, there's one in the pew in front of you. We're going to find ourselves on page 395 in that pew Bible. And again, if you don't own a Bible, really, if you don't own one, we want you to have that one that's in front of you. Really, it's our gift to you. 
God has spoken to us, and he has done so through his word. So I'm going to read Ezra chapter 8, verses 21 through 23, and then we'll get on in. God's word says this. This is Ezra speaking. He says, Then I proclaimed a fast there at the river Ahava, that we might humble ourselves before our God to seek from him a safe journey for ourselves, our children, and all our goods. For I was ashamed to ask the king for a band of soldiers and horsemen to protect us against the enemy on our way, since we had told the king the hand of our God is for good on all who seek him, and the power of his wrath is against all who forsake him. And so we fasted and implored our God for this, and he listened to our entreaty. This is God's word for us. We want to talk about prayer because prayer is the means that God has given to us of having a conversation with him. Prayer is the means where we can grow in our uh, relationship with God. When we neglect prayer, we're going to find ourselves spiritually spinning out. We're going to find ourselves becoming dry and dull. I've known that from experience, and I trust that you probably have as well. And so we want to continually bring prayer back in front of our eyes. But remember this, God's not in heaven with a celestial stopwatch clicking every time you get on your knees and turning it off when you stop. He's not the one who's going to come back and say, hey, look at your track record. You spent four hours and 33 minutes over the last four months combined in prayer. God God doesn't operate like that, but he beckons us to come to him because he loves us, because he knows what's best for us. And in his presence, there is fullness of joy, there is rest And he speaks to us as we speak to him. And there's a conversation that takes place. And God just pleases us, come to him, to come, to pray and to talk to him. God spoke and challenged me in this very way several weeks ago. I was in Grand Rapids finishing up some schooling. And it was my last day. I found an earlier train to come into Chicago. So I wanted to come in early and surprise the family. They're expecting me about 4.30 p.m. I found a train that would get me home at 10 a.m. I thought, I want to do this. I want to show up at the front door. The challenge was the train left Grand Rapids at 6 a.m. And I was at a university about a half hour away from the train station. And I want to get to that spot early. So I realized I've got to catch a cab or an Uber or something at 5 a.m. Now, Grand Rapids isn't Chicago, and in Chicago, you can turn on your Uber app any time of the day, and there's 30 cars around you. So the day before, I woke up early just to see what the ride situation was like, and I got up at 4.30 a.m., turned on the app, and there was nothing, nothing until 5.15 a.m., and all of a sudden, I thought, oh, man, that's going to be cutting it close for a 6 a.m. train, and I got really nervous and I just kind of started thinking about plan B, C, D, E, and F because I'm like, what, are we, what am I going to do if I wake up and there are no Ubers? And so I kind of started going about my day just hoping there would be a car the next morning when the Spirit of God prompted my heart and said, Eric, instead of hoping there's a car tomorrow morning, how about you ask me for one? I, I felt it as clear as day, and I didn't hear an audible voice, but the Lord just put that on my heart. And I just stopped and I prayed. I said, God, you know I want to get home tomorrow early. My job is done here. I can't see any selfish motive in here. I just want to be back home. Would you, would you provide a car for me tomorrow? So I prayed that, and I just felt like God was like, you know what? I'll take care of that. Next morning, I woke up at 4.30, turned on my app. There were six cars in the vicinity. Not only did he provide one, he provided several. I had options, right? And, and I just really sensed God was saying, you have not because you don't ask. 
as we're prepping to begin this little mini-series on prayer, I'm reminded that God wants us to come to him. And our ability to see his hand is often connected in our commitment to seek his hand. See, perhaps the next morning I would have woken up and there would have been a car there. I'd be like, oh, good. I'm glad that happened. But I would have praised God. Would I have worshipped him? Would he have gotten the glory for coming through in a way that was very visible? And I was able to see it because he provoked my heart to pray. See, God was at work even in that moment, that little apartment there in Grand Rapids. See, God has called us to pray. You know, when I look around what God is doing here at the brook, we've had a long summer. It's been a good one. But we know fall is approaching. And as we look toward the fall, we believe he's moving us in certain directions. Jeremy mentioned some of them already, how we believe he's calling us to multiply into new community groups throughout our neighborhood because when we do that, we create space for people who are far from God to come to connect with us and get to know Jesus and see him work and act in their lives and bring them to faith in him so their lives can be changed for eternity. And then God sends us on a mission to reach more people. And the more groups we are able to multiply, the more space we're able to create. So we believe God is calling us to do that, but we have the question of, God, how does that look? When do we do this? Who goes where? Who will you raise up? Whose hearts will you burden? What are you doing among us, God? And those answers come through prayer. We believe that God is calling us to create space in the sanctuary. And we've said from day one, we're not about tearing down this building and building a bigger one. We want to multiply churches. And so we believe he's calling us to create a second worship service this fall. And so we're left with the question, God, when? How? How are we going to do this? Because we don't want to simply increase our seating capacity, but we want to increase our what? Sending capacity. See, the more people that are part of our church family, the more people we can say, hey, will you go with this brother as he goes and starts a church in that neighborhood? Would God burden your heart? Would you go with him? Because we want to see the gospel go into all communities. But church, we want God's blessing on that. We, we don't want to move ahead and, and look back saying, man, I really wish we fasted and prayed about that one. No, we want to walk by faith. We want to be proactive. But we also want to be proactively on our knees, seeking him So God calls us to pray, but then he provides for us this extraordinary means to seek him in another way, and that's through fasting. Fasting. David Mathis, a a blogger, says this. Uh, He writes for DesiringGod.org. He says, fasting is voluntarily going without food or any other regularly enjoyed good gift from God for the sake of some spiritual purpose. It's withholding in order to seek God for a particular purpose. The Bible says that fasting is a means of seeking God and his unique blessing that expresses our hunger for God and pleads for him to intervene in a particular way. Another writer says fasting expresses earnestness and urgency in our prayers. Fasting says to God that we are prepared to lay down our lives that the situation for which we're praying be changed rather than it continue. It's saying, God, I'm going to lay it all down, God. I'm going to withhold from food. Yeah, I'm going to grumble. My my stomach's going to grumble here. I'm going to feel the pinch. But each time, Lord, it's my way of saying, God, I'm hungering for you more than my hunger for food. I want you to intervene in these particular ways. God, move among us. Wayne Grudem, a 
theologian says most Western Christians do not, and I had regularly, fast. But if we were willing to fast more regularly, even for one or two meals, we might be surprised how much more spiritual power and strength we would have in our lives and in our churches. See, when Jesus is confronted with a demon-possessed boy, his disciples said, why couldn't we cast out this demon? And Jesus says, this kind can only come out through prayer and fasting. But the disciples wouldn't have had time to fast when they're confronted with a demon-possessed boy. They, they couldn't say, all right, we're going to go fast and pray, and we'll come back to you, young man. It, it seems that Jesus is saying, no, when your life has a consistent pattern of prayer and fasting, there is a spiritual power and sensitivity that comes with it where you can know God's will and do God's will and live for his glory and on his mission. That's what we want to do, church. That's what I want to do. I'm preaching to you looking in a mirror right now. God has called us to fast and to pray, and this is what people of God and people throughout the Bible did. Think of a time of Jonah after he got spit out by this huge fish and goes into Nineveh, preaches a sermon, tells the people of Nineveh, turn from your sin, And lo and behold, they start fasting and praying, and God says, I'm going to withhold my judgment because they've turned to me. They fasted and prayed as an act of repentance. So maybe today you're battling sin, and you've been kind of willy-nilly with repentance. You've kind of been passive about it. You said, God, I'm sorry, but you're not killing your sin. Maybe it's prayer and fasting God's calling you to do today. In the book of Esther, When she finds out of a plan to kill God's people and to kill her, she calls them to fast and to pray for deliverance. Maybe you're in bondage today. You need to fast and pray for deliverance. Jesus, after being baptized and filled with the Spirit, what does the Holy Spirit do? He sends him out in the wilderness to fast and pray before starting his ministry, to form a ministry preparation at that time for Jesus. In Acts 13, the church gets on their knees with Paul and Barnabas and other leaders, and they say, all right, God, you've raised up leaders here. You're going to send us out, but we've got two questions, God. Who's going and where are they going? And they fasted and prayed, and the Holy Spirit made it clear to them to set apart Paul and Barnabas for his mission, and he sends them into Asia and into modern-day Europe on God's mission. And that was made clear through prayer and fasting. And here in Ezra chapter 8, Ezra calls God's people to pray and to fast for protection on a journey they're about to go on. We're going to see seven principles, seven keys to prayer and fasting in this passage. I'm going to read them for you just to put them on your radar, and I want to circle back and go over each of them. See, prayer and fasting, first of all, both public and private, should be a consistent part of the Christian life. Second of all, prayer and fasting are starting points, not bailout plans. Thirdly, prayer and fasting make strong people weak and weak people strong. Fourthly, it restores the wonder of being face-to-face with God. Fifthly, it aims for the glory of God and not simply the answering of my request. Sixthly, prayer and fasting are inseparably connected to feasting on God's word and hungering for God himself. And then seventhly, where we're going to work toward 
is that our ability to see God's hand often comes in our commitment to seek God's hand. So the book of Ezra lays this out for us. Now, it's kind of tucked in there in your Bible. A lot of us maybe aren't too familiar with it. So I'm going to give us some background as to why we're in chapter 8 here. You see, throughout much of the, the Old Testament and the historical books of 2 Kings and 1 2 Chronicles, even some of 1 Kings, we see God's people starting to spiral out of control, rebelling from God. And what God does, he sends the nation of Assyria and then Babylon to capture his own people and take them away into exile into a foreign land. And throughout that whole time, God is sending one prophet after the other, telling his people, hey, we got to stop our ways. We're being wicked here. We're worshiping idols on different hills. We're oppressing our brother. We're killing one another. We're cheating each other. We're stealing from each other. We have to stop this. And one prophet at a time, God's people turned their back from those messages until finally Jeremiah said, God's coming, and you were going to be conquered. And we're going to be in Babylon for 70 years because of our rebellion. And sure enough, King Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, came in, captures God's people, sends them into Babylon, and they are there as exiles away from their homeland, away from their history, away from their language, away from their customs, away from the sea and the river that they knew so well. Just imagine their plight. And after about 60 years or so, God stirs the hearts of these pagan kings God could use anybody. Stirs the hearts of a pagan king to put it on his heart to tell God's people, you know what? You can go back to your land and start taking care of it again. And it become overrun by animals. Weeds were growing everywhere. It was destroyed from the army having invaded. And so finally a man named Zerubbabel brings God's people, some 50,000 people back into Israel, into Jerusalem, with the goal of building a temple so that the worship of God could be restored in his land. It was a high moment for God's people. They were thrilled. God, at last, you have not forsaken us, they thought. They go back to Jerusalem, and they don't build the temple. They start building houses for themselves, nice houses. Haggai says, you live in paneled houses while God's house lays in ruins. And Haggai, the prophet, starts preaching, telling God's people, you got to get to work. And through a series of events, their eyes are open, and they start building the temple. And finally, it's completed after they set the record straight there. But now they needed somebody who was going to spiritually lead them. And this is where Ezra comes in. In Ezra chapter 7, verses 1 through 10, we see that he was a man who came from a priestly lineage. That means his father and grandfather were Levites. There were people who worshipped God. It says that he was a scribe, which means he was a man of the word of God. But he was not only someone who knew the truth and had a history, but he actually had a love for God in his heart. It says in Ezra chapter 7, verse 6, that the hand of the Lord God was on him. And the reason being, in verse 10, it says, For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. You see, Ezra was a man who studied God's word, who wanted to obey it for his own life, and then wanted to teach others about it. 
And through that, God says, I'm setting you apart, Ezra. I, I need you to do this work in bringing my people back into Israel and establishing the worship of me. I mentioned earlier that prayer, fasting, and God's word are inseparably linked. We see this in Ezra's life. Church family, this is why we have our real communities that gather weekly. This is why this summer we're doing these DNA discipleship groups where we get together in groups of three to study God's word because we want to grow deeper. We want to love him more zealously. Maybe you're part of a DNA group that's, that started in the beginning of the summer and it fizzled out. You're on the side of the road with four flat tires. Get back together. Call your brothers. Call your sisters, ladies, for your groups. And say, you know what, let's get back on this. We've still got some summer left. Let's dig in the word. God, show us and teach us just like Ezra did. He was committed to God's word. And so Ezra was set apart for this task of bringing God's people back to Jerusalem and establishing worship. And here we come to our passage. Ezra 8, verse 21. Ezra was ready to go back. And then something dawned on him. The journey from Babylon to Jerusalem was a four-month journey. Can you imagine that? Four months it should have taken them to get from Babylon to Israel. And so he's thinking, all right, I'm going to bring about 1,500 people with me. We're going to walk from one city to another over a four-month period of time in lands that we do not know where there could be thieves and robbers and other armies and nomadic tribes and disease and death. And we're supposed to arrive safely in Jerusalem. So he starts wondering, man, this is, this is a dangerous proposition here. How do we get from point A to point B, God? And we are told here in verse 21 that Ezra proclaimed a fast there at the river Ahava, which is in Babylon, that we might humble ourselves before our God to seek from him a safe journey for ourselves, our children, and all our goods. But here, look at verse 22 there. For I was ashamed to ask the king for a band of soldiers and horsemen to protect us against the enemy on our way, since we had told the king. This is what he told them. The hand of our God is for good on all who seek him, and the power of his wrath against all who forsake him. Basically what Ezra is saying is, we've been talking to this king here in Babylon, telling him how great and powerful our God is, and now that he's finally letting us go back to our land, we're going to ask him for some military help. We see there's nothing necessarily wrong with doing that, but Ezra saw something here. He saw that God's glory was at stake, and he wanted to set the record straight on who is guiding them. And so I mentioned we learned seven keys to true prayer and fasting. We see the first one here, where Ezra says in verse 21, then I proclaimed a fast there. He proclaimed a fast for all of God's people. Church, there's a place for public fasting and praying together. There's a place for that, where we collectively get together with the same goals in mind and say, all right, this Wednesday or that Thursday, whatever day it is, we're going to fast and we're going to pray together for these three or four things, and we're going to be like-minded in that matter. See, it should be a consistent part of our lives where we're calling each other to pray and to fast. Jesus says in Matthew 6, When you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. That's the praises of man. But when you fast, 
anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. What Jesus teaches us is that there's time for private fasting as well. There's a place for both public and private fasting. And in both cases, we're not to go about, you know, just moping around saying, man, hate my life, haven't eaten since yesterday. Can you see that? Do I look tired? Oh, yeah, I'm tired. You know why I'm tired? I've been fasting. <laughs> oh, come on, come on, tell me how great I am. Jesus is saying, that, okay, you'll get your reward. People will be like, oh, wow, that's, been, that's great. You've been fasting? You'll get your praises. But when we say, all right, God, I'm coming to fast and pray before you because I want you. I don't want people's opinions and approval. I want you, God. Your Father who sees in secret will reward you in secret. So there's a place for both public and private fasting, but in either case, it needs to be a part of our regular lives because Jesus says, when you fast, it's not a conditional if you fast. He calls us to fast and to pray. And we see here, even in Ezra's example, that here, a spiritual leader, and God calls us as leaders I'm speaking to myself here to call his people to fast and to pray, to seek him. So that's the first key we learn about prayer and fasting that needs to be a part of our regular lives, both public and private. Secondly, prayer and fasting are starting points, not bailout plans. He says, then I proclaimed the fast there at the river Ahava, which is in Babylon, that we might humble ourselves before our God. He says, we're about to go on the journey We want to ask God's blessing and guidance before we go, not after we go. You ever step out thinking God was leading you but never really prayed about it? Everything goes wrong and then you ask him to bless the mess? See, see Ezra's like, no, I, I I want God's guidance before we go. We don't want to get out there, be overrun by thieves, get back to Jerusalem all ragged and beat up and say, man, God, you really should have protected us. No, he wanted to come out and say, God, we are before you. We, we, we are not using prayer as a bailout plan. You are our sustenance. We need you to move in us. And as I think about where God has us as a church, I, I want prayer and fasting to guide us. I want God to guide us as we seek him before we move forward, not after we move forward saying, man, God, we really should have done that differently. Yeah, we'll make mistakes. Yeah, we, we will think we've heard and we didn't hear. So we need to walk in humility but we want to be intentional. Sometimes we could be so passively active. Passively active. And what I mean is we can be doing all sorts of things, running ragged, you know, burning energy, but are so passive because we're not really seeking God in it. But maybe sometimes God's telling us to be proactively passive. We're being proactive in seeking him, but passive saying, God, well, we need you to do this. We're not, we're not going to go forward without you, God. We need you to do it. And, of course, there are abuses on both ends. There are people who say, no, God will provide it. But, like, no, God's calling you to stand up and go. You know, sometimes there's there's situations like that. Other times God's saying, wait, I'm going to go for you. But it's through prayer and fasting that becomes clear. We don't want it to be a bailout plan where we come to God. He's the one that we live by. He's our very breath. So we want to seek him together for our individual lives, for our households, for this church, for this community. Thirdly, we learn that prayer and fasting make strong people weak and weak people strong. Ezra says that they fasted and prayed that we might humble ourselves 
before our God. We might humble ourselves. To humble yourself is to make yourself low. It's to acknowledge your weaknesses. It's not to say, no, I'm strong, I can do this, but to say, no, God, we are weak and we need you to do this. See, those of us who walk as if we're strong become very prideful in our strength, and what we'll find is we are no longer seeking God because we don't think we need him anymore. And as we're saying, we're humbling ourselves before God because we're weak. God, we need you to intervene in our lives. You see, pride prevents us from seeing the things that we need to see because we're, we're too caught up in how we go about our lives. There are situations in each of your lives right now that need some miraculous, extraordinary, divine intervention. But perhaps you just don't see it that way because you become spiritually prideful or just dull and tired. We've got people in our lives who've rejected Jesus, who need him. And we need God to miraculously intervene. See, God calls us to pray and to fast, to humble ourselves, because when we humble ourselves, he will lift us up and work in our midst. That's the third lesson we learn here. Fourthly, prayer and fasting restores the wonder of being face-to-face with God. You see, there is a kind of prayer and fasting that God is repulsed by. The book of Isaiah, uh, I forget which chapter, but Isaiah rebukes God's people because they're praying and they're fasting. They're saying, God, work and move among us. And Isaiah's saying, but you're dishonoring God with your life. You're, you're, you're being hypocritical. You're taking advantage of your friends. You're you're honoring God with your lips, but your heart's another place. God's not pleased in that. And so what God calls us to say, God, we need you. We need you. And we want you to restore this wonder of what it means to pray face-to-face with you. You see, Ezra says here that they humble themselves before our God in front of, in the presence of our God. You don't stand before someone at a distance. You stand before them in front of them, as it were, face to face. William Gouge, a pastor in London in the 17th century, says, God is the highest, the chiefest good, below which we may not remain, beyond which we cannot attain. To place our rest in anything before we come to God is dangerous. To attain to any rest beyond God is impossible. The means whereby we, men and women on earth, have access to God in heaven is prayer. By prayer, we enter the court where God sits in his majesty, and we present ourselves before him, speaking unto him, as it were, face to face. Ezra here says we've humbled ourselves before God because we're coming before him face to face. I know in my own personal life, when I tend to lose the awe and wonder of the fact that I'm talking to the infinite God of the universe who spoke this world into existence, it's then that I stop praying or I cease to pray with the same kind of urgency or wonder or privilege. And yet this God invites us to come to him, family. He says, come to me, talk to me, pray to me, humble yourself before me and watch me move in your life. Fifthly, prayer and fasting aims for the glory of God and not simply the answering of my request. Sometimes we think by praying and fasting, we can twist God's arm to give us what we think we really need. And perhaps God knows what we need. (laughs) Perhaps he does. Perhaps it's not what we think it is. 
And this time, Ezra is asking for protection on their journey. Now, before you go on and start idolizing safety, saying, God, I want what Ezra had. I want to be safe. I want to be secure. I want no hardship. I want life to be easy. We need to take a few steps back here. Because Ezra is not here about his own comfort. He's about the mission. He's not about his security. He's about where he's going. And where he's going is to establish worship in a land where it was no longer being done. That's mission, church. And he's saying, God, protect us so that when we get there, we can establish the worship of you and you could be exalted again in the land of your people. You see, most of God's people throughout the Bible, their faith is forged in the fires, church. It's not often you see God's people praying for safety and security and comfort. Take who lived in clay, uh, caves running from Saul, King David. Moses was turned against by the very people he led out of slavery. Abraham left his family and his land. Joseph was betrayed by his brothers. Paul was beaten. John was imprisoned on a remote island until he died. Jeremiah was rejected by his own kin. Job's health and family deteriorated. Ezekiel buried his wife. Daniel was unjustly arrested. John the Baptist, Stephen, and James the Apostle were put to death for the name of Jesus. And last but surely not least, we look no, forward, no further than the cross of Jesus itself, where our Savior, truly God, truly man, rejected by the very people he created, put to death, creature creating, uh, killing the creator on a cross unjustly in order to redeem us. See, the Bible doesn't promise an easy life. What prayer and fasting does, it allows us to gain perspective where our world no longer revolves around us, but revolves around God and his will. And if it's his desire to keep us safe, praise God and let it be. If it's his desire to let us go through hardship that he might be exalted, praise God and let it be. See, Ezra knew what God wanted, and he knew that God wanted him to be about his mission to get back to Jerusalem. What's your mission in life? What's your God-glorifying, Christ-exalting, missional mission in life? And let your prayers revolve around God and his plan for you. Say, God, what do you want me to do? See, Ezra knew when he got back to Israel, he was not going to spend the night in a Ritz-Carlton. He knew there was no Uber to get him there. There were dangers along the way. There was no Walmart. We got a flat tire going to Tennessee last week. That was not exciting, but it was great to open my app and find a Walmart an hour away to get a new tire. Ezra didn't have that, but he knew what God wanted for him, and he prayed for God to guide him. And I love Ezra has as his desire God's glory. This is why he didn't go to the king. This is why he didn't say, hey, come help me out. He said, no, my God is going to come through for me. What kind of steps of faith is God calling you to walk by today? Where when he intervenes, only he can get the credit. See, that's what we want to see happen here. We don't want us to get to point, from point A to point B as a church or in my home and as individuals. And people say, oh, you really planned that really nicely. No, we want people to say, God had to do that. And Ezra 
understood that here. Sixthly, we see that prayer and fasting are inseparably linked to God's word and Ezra's hunger for more of God. You see, Ezra says here in verse 23, he says, So we fasted and implored our God for this, and he listened to our entreaty. How does Ezra know that? How does he know that God heard them when they fasted and prayed? You look in verse 24, then I set apart 12 of the leading priests, and he goes on to talk about their journey that they're about to go on. We, we don't have any record of a prophet coming along Ezra and say, hey, Ezra, God told me he heard your prayers so you can go now. We, we, we never get any indication that Ezra heard a voice in his prayer closet saying, Ezra, my thumbs are up. I think maybe what's going on here is we learned that Ezra was a man who knew his God and, and he knew his God from God's word. And I just wonder if sometimes we're asking God for so much clarity in life when he's already provided it in his word. Ezra knew that God calls him to fast and pray, so he knew that when he fasted and prayed, his God was going to hear him. Ezra knew that God wants his name to be exalted in all places and in all lands. So why he had to say, God, do you really want me to go establish the worship of you in Jerusalem? No, he knew that that's what God wanted. And so they set themselves apart and say, God, we want to acknowledge this. But just perhaps he knew the answer from the scriptures themselves and said, you know, God has heard us. God has heard us. And now it's time to go. See, God speaks to us from his word, and that's why I say if you don't own a Bible, have the one in front of you because he talks to us as we seek him in his word and in prayer. And now God's people were ready to go on their journey. You see, our ability to see God, seventhly, to see God's hand, often comes in our commitment to seek God's hand. If Ezra didn't fast and pray, perhaps they would have had a hard journey. Perhaps they would have been overcome by thieves and robbers. Or just perhaps it would have been a safe journey. But when he arrived in Jerusalem, what he could look back and say, God, you did that. You see, when we see, when we see God's hand, it happens because we're seeking God's hand. So I want to make this personal for us, church. The question is, how should I fast? How should I pray as an individual? How should we do this as a church? Now, I recognize there are some who have different health issues that make fasting a very difficult thing to do. You have your different cholesterol levels and things like that. You need to eat certain kinds of foods. But fasting is something we all need to partake in in one form or another. By and large, in the Bible, fasting is done by withholding food and drink. That's what the Bible shows us. And so you are not prevented from health risks. To receive God's word here and say, you know what, God, I I want to abstain from food. I want to abstain from these things because I want to seek you. I want to hunger for you. With every sharp pain in my stomach, I want more of you. Maybe you might begin by fasting one meal, saying, I'm going to skip my lunch break today. And rather than sitting in the lunchroom, I'm going to go to the car. I'm going to cry out to God in my car today for lunch. Maybe that's how you start. Maybe you start out breakfast and lunch, and you enjoy dinner like it's nobody's business. But instead of eating your getting away on a prayer walk, maybe behind the company, down the block. Maybe you eat breakfast and lunch, but you say, you know, when I get home, 
I'm going to get into my prayer closet and I'm going to spend my time there just praying to God, seeking his face. Maybe it's several days that God's going to call you to fast and pray. Some of us, we can go even beyond that and abstain from social media and other kinds of things that zap our time and zap our focus and prevent us from seeing God's hand at work. Whatever it is, let's be intentional because nobody grew spiritually on accident. Nobody. Ezra called God's people to fast and to pray so they could get on their journey in the same way I'm calling you, church, as your pastor who loves you guys, to, fit, to pray and to fast, to do so and let it be a regular part of your life. Well, fasting without praying is simply going hungry. All right, you can't go to the mall for Christmas and shop all day and say, I forgot lunch. I fasted today. No. Fasting, Ezra says, we humbled ourselves before God. It was so they could be corum deo is what they say in Latin, before the face of God. We fast and pray so we can come to God and see that wonder and awe of talking to our Heavenly Father and coming, as, as David Mathis said in the definition I read earlier, with a particular spiritual purpose. So I want to ask you, what are the things in your life right now that you need to ask God through prayer and fasting for? Maybe it's to pray for a family here in our church body who you know needs someone to stand in the gap for them. Maybe it's to stop and say, I'm going to pray for our church's mission. I see what God's doing. I want us to multiply real communities. I want us to multiply churches. I'm going to fast and pray to that end. Maybe it's for a family member or a wayward child, or a struggling uh, marriage. Maybe it's to pray and fast, seeking God and asking him for contentment in the midst of unmet desires. Saying, God, help me trust that you're in control. Maybe it's a call in your life to be a global missionary, away from Chicago and what is familiar to another country. You say, God, I need some clarity on that. I I need you to speak to me. And maybe you invite some others to pray with you toward that end. Don't do it alone if you don't have to. Maybe you got to pray for physical or emotional healing in your life or in the life of someone else. Maybe it's for greater faith or a more vibrant prayer life. Or maybe just for a greater awareness that Jesus is coming back any moment. I'm going to fast and pray so I can remember that and live life with a fresh urgency. Maybe it's for our city of Chicago. Maybe it's for the divisions that are taking place with the law enforcement and the black community. We want to pray for healing there. Maybe we want to address this. We want to come to God and say, God, I I want those who feel like their lives don't matter to know that their lives do matter. Show us how. Show us how we can appreciate others, how we can love others, sacrifice for others. See, it's through prayer and fasting that we come to God with an urgency, saying, God, this matters a lot to me, and I want you to move. See, as God calls us to pray and fast, I want you to set apart a time, maybe even this week, to do that. When might it be? What days might it be? What meals might it be? Because it should be a, a consistent part of our life. It's not a bailout plan. So what's something you need to be praying and fasting about before you move forward right now? It makes weak people strong and ask God, God, how how do I need to humble myself today? What are some areas of spiritual pride that are preventing me from seeing you? God, am I aiming for your glory first? 
So you pray and fast saying, God, I want your will beyond even my prayer request. God, I want to feast upon your word. I want to hunger more for you. God, open my eyes to see what you're doing. It comes to prayer and fasting. I mentioned earlier that I got on this Amtrak at 6 a.m. And my great desire was to get home to my family. But something I didn't know was that God had another plan as well. I got on that train and I sat in my seat. And a guy named Aaron sat next to me, who I didn't want to talk to because I was about my own business at that point. But God had other plans. And I started feeling in my heart, like, I got to talk to this dude. And then I hear on the loudspeaker, one of the train workers in the last cart, he's working the cafe. He says, hello, everybody. This is Benaya. I'm a cafe worker. I want to direct your attention to the back of the train. There's coffee and donuts back there to, for purchase. I thought, Benaya, that's an interesting name. That's one of David's mighty men, isn't that? Went back there and talked with Benaya. Said, Benaya, your, your name's in the Bible. Benaya was a mighty, mighty warrior. He's like, he sure was. He says, he's one of David's mighty men. He's like, he was one of David's mighty men. And I asked him, was Benaya the one who fought the Egyptian and took his own weapon? And he's like, I think it might be. I was like, I know this because I've been reading a lot of this recently, and I had been. And I said, you know, there's a preacher that I really like who says that just as Benaiah took the weapon out of the Egyptian's hand and killed him with his own weapon. That's what Jesus did with Satan, whose weapon was death. He snatched death out of his hand and defeated him with his own weapon. Dude looked at me like, what just happened? (laughs) Got to share the gospel with Benaiah. Went back to my seat, and there's Aaron looking at me like, hey, you want to talk? And I'm thinking, God, I want to read right now. And we start conversing. And it was, a, it, was a, it was an interesting conversation. He did not agree with anything I had to say, but kept saying, I think we agree on the same thing. I'm like, no, we don't. No. <laughs> and I, and, I, and I, told, I told Aaron, no, this, and I, I shared with him the gospel there. And it was awkward at times. I mean, it was a three-hour train ride. And this happened like an hour and a half in, and the other times it was great. And at the end of the train ride, we took a picture together, gave him our website, said, hey, man, I want to see you there, even though he lives in Grand Rapids, but comes to Chicago often. You see, God has plans that are different than ours. Now, I honestly say, I didn't fast when I got on that train. I wasn't fasting that week. But God had moved me to pray. And so when we seek God's hand, we can then see his hand. And he's moving in each of our lives, but so often the blinders are up and we don't notice it. We don't see that he has something greater in store. He wants to use us. He's calling you to fast and to pray for spiritual power and sensitivity so that when he calls you for the occasion, you're ready to rise so that he would get all the glory for it. Church, that's what we want to see in each of our households here, in our families, in our singleness, in our marriages, in our children, in this community, in this church, and in our multiplying. We want God to get the glory because we've been praying and fasting and seeking him, and he's intervened, and people look back and say, only God could have done that. That's what we yearn to see happen. When prayer meets fasting, wonderful things happen. No one ever grew spiritually on accident. God's calling us to do it. How will you pray and fast this week? With what kind of urgency? What kind of burdens would he put on your heart? Who will he invite you to bring alongside of you in that prayer and fasting?
But let's do it, church. Let's say, God, move for your glory's sake and not for our own. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for Ezra, this courageous man of faith, who when he saw danger in front of him, said, God, I don't want to move forward without you. And God, there's some of us here today, and we are as a church at crossroads, where we could either go on casually, status quo, staying with what's comfortable, or we could walk by faith. And Lord, when we are faced with these crossroads, we say, God, go before us. We don't want to move without you. We want to come before you, as it were, face to face. We want to humble ourselves before you. We want you to start out in prayer and fasting. We want your word to guide our steps. We want to listen to you as we read it. Lead us, O Lord. God, whether it be college decisions, family decisions, purchasing decisions, missional decisions, God, let the compass be your glory. And if it doesn't point to the exaltation of your name and the spreading of your fame, God, let us put it aside. We want to see you lifted high. Show us your glory, God, as we seek you. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Church, we're going to close in song as we do each Sunday. But as we say each Sunday, we want this to be a song of response that reflects what God's moving in our hearts. Maybe as you sing, you're going to pray, saying, God, what is it in my life right now? What, what do I need to be seeking you on that I'm not seeing? What are you doing that I'm not noticing? God, show me. Show me. Help me to see it. And so let's rise to our feet, church. As we sing this last song, let's pray as we sing. I want to invite our prayer team. Would you guys come forward and go to the back? And Maybe you want someone else to pray with you. Maybe you're saying, man, I'm trying to see this, but it's not clear to me. And you want someone just to come alongside of you and pray with you. That's what we're here for. Maybe there's somebody in your life who you want to see come to know Jesus. And you just want to bring their name before another brother or sister. Let them pray with you. And maybe today as you're hearing about Jesus and his death on the cross and the new life he offers, maybe you're realizing, I don't know this Jesus like you talk about him. Man, maybe today's the day you will cross over from death to life and become a child of God through faith in Jesus. That's the way God's moving in your heart. We want you to become a child of God by putting your faith in him, by turning from your sin and believing that Jesus died and rose for you. If that's where you're at, man, come to one of our prayer team members. They would love to make that even clearer to you and to pray with you as you surrender your life to Jesus. Church, let's let our voices resound in this room. Let this place shake as we seek our God in prayer.